and welcome to another episode of No Plans to Merge. I'm your host, Caleb Porzio. I'm your host, Dan Colburn. Today's episode is brought to you by... Barbara Manatee. Because providing... you are the one for me. Yeah. Sent from I'm... up above. Sent from up above. You are the one I love. Um, good day, Caleb. Good day, mate. Good day. How's it going, Decal? Oh, I hope this email finds you well. Um... I am doing well. I am chilling. It's Friday. It's not hot anymore. It's become fall. Where? Um, yep. It is cool vibes weather. I'm wearing a hoodie. I'm wearing jeans. Still not wearing socks. Just wearing like cushy indoor slippers with like the fake fur lining. Hey. But no I socks. I don't have those types of slippers, but I was doing that too today. Slips with no socks. Slips with no socks and the a first, hoodie and jeans. It was yeah. kind of ceremonial, actually, when I slipped them on. It's the first time of the season. Yeah, so I've been vibing out real hard today. That's great. Um, wearing a hoodie, wearing jeans, wearing slips, wearing no socks. Um, yeah. So that's a pretty decent aesthetic. My dog, um, who is old and limpy. Young she Toon? Limps. Yeah, Young Toon. Young old Toon. Um, or old young tune. Um, she's very limpy. She's got, uh, she's got some, some cancer of the, of the shoulder. Mm. Um, but so she doesn't move that quick and yet somehow managed (laughs) to run away and go into the, like, I mean, she didn't run that far. She got into our neighbor's yard, but like, um, your neighbor, uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty wild. Good for young tune. Yeah. Good for her. Live it up. Um, that's great, D. Cole. D. Cole. Yes. Um, what do we got? I got a few random random things for you. Um, I discovered a new band called Driveways. 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 Yeah. And whatever, it's just like a band I found on Spotify because I listened to pop punk and stuff. Uh huh. And they came up at one point, and I just found this one song, and I've been listening to it ever since. Um, but. Uh, I just wanted to tell you that because I love this song more than I love most songs. And their description is, if you enjoyed pop punk slash post hardcore music from like 2002 to about 2008, then you might like Driveways. Like even if you didn't, you still might. We don't really know until you give us a listen. Let us know. Talk soon. Thanks. That's a great description of a band. I thought it was great. I found them because of that, like because Mm -hmm. of that sound. And then I saw that about and I was like, oh yeah, that's why I love you guys. So it's a it's a contemporary band with a with a yeah there's, there's a bunch of them. to two thousand eight swag. Yep. This wildlife is like the premier like um, band for people like me who used to love Blink One Eighty Two. Yeah, yeah. dude, Blink One Eighty Two is so good. You know, I had a conversation um, the other day that <laughs> blew my mind. We were standing there, we were having a conversation, we were talking about all of these cultural markers of that time especially yeah. like pop punk stuff yeah we were bringing up different pop punk bands we were bringing up all this stuff and then someone said blink 182 and yeah. the person who had been tracking the entire conversation thus far was like yeah i never really listened to blink 182 <laughs> <laughs> i was like whoa, 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 whoa wait you have way too much like shared experience with me around right. all the things that directly surround Blink-182 yeah. to be standing here just looking me in the eye. And this guy's like a musician. He's a professional That's musician. crazy. They're the focal he, point. Yeah, he plays music all the time. That's ridiculous. Yeah. 
he listens to music nonstop. And he's like, yeah, I never really did Blink-182. What do you mean? That's not right. Yeah. Speaking of things that people like Mm -hmm. in that realm, Tony Mm -hmm. Hawk, Pro Skater 1 and 2. Oh, yeah. You know they're making a new one. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah, man. Were you into Tony Hawk? Yeah, oh, yeah. Tony yeah, Hawk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. PlayStation 2. Okay. A little bit later. Mm-hmm. Tony Hawk, what? Like t- three? Or, or maybe PlayStation 1, 2. Yeah, uh, no, I've played 1, 2, and 3. And 4. Okay. I've played all 4. Word. More than that, dog. Well, um, no, but those are the numbered ones. Yeah, yeah. Then it, then it gets into like Tony Hawk sells out yet again. And okay, all, the, all the other, no, 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 all no, the no, other no. Tony Hawk games. I'll. Tony like, Hawk Underground. Project Tony Hawk? 8? Sure. But Underground was actually like. It was fantastic. Just Tony so Hawk you, 3, I think, might be the best one. I don't know, man. In Tony Hawk Underground, I think Underground was the first game that you could get off of your skateboard. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, right? that sounds like something I don't want to do in Tony Hawk. No, it totally is. Climb stuff. Dude, it's the best. And there's a whole storyline. You like sketch cars and it's legit. Bam Margera is like the star mm. of it. it mm. Dude, it's got a lot of soul compared mm. to the other ones even. But anyway, so I've been jamming out Tony Hawk and it's bringing me right back. What are you, which one? The new ones, one and two. Yeah. Wait, wait, so they're out now? Yeah, they're out. 35 bucks. 35 bucks. 35 bucks. Such and you just get them. It's an insta buy. Yeah. Yeah, you just get them. How could it not be? Oh, and it's not even that big. It's like 25 yeah. gigs or something. Dude, it's so good. Dude, it is so good. I'm rediscovering the secret tapes. Oh, yes. Remember the secret tape? Like, so that's they're like thing. remastered with new graphics? Is that what it is? Yeah, but it's the same thing. Same levels. Same almost levels. Almost the exact same um, objectives. Um, but yeah. So all your skills transfer. It didn't take me long to get pretty finger fluent. That's amazing. With, uh, Tony Hawk again. Yeah. That's awesome. So, yeah. It really was great. I'm and hand play. Find my me. PlayStation controller. Um, yeah. I mean, you could play it on anything. Yeah, but. I would play it on PC, but I would play it with a PlayStation controller. You're not playing... Oh, because the games you're playing right now are with a mouse and keyboard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I smell you. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're going to want to get that. For surely. For sure. Okay. So the, the, those are my big updates. Oh, also the new laptop, the new MacBook uh-huh. Pro. Whew. Like it? I didn't know my computer was slow. I mean, I kind of... <laughs> I did. But this is fast. Yeah. This is real nice. Yeah. It's like an invisible computer. It's just gotten out of the way. Yeah. I don't there's hear no, it. There's no computing involved. I don't. Yeah. It just, everything just works, you know? Yeah. Oh, it's so fast. It's so nice. Wild. It is Wild. crazy. It's crazy. I'm loving yeah. it. Um, and you, you luckily managed to skip the entire generation of terrible keyboards. Yes. You came in post bad keyboard. Yep. Yep. Into I an okay enough of keyboard. the hating and I waited and I really loved the computer I had. Mm-hmm. until the battery started bulging and until it start started just being slow mm-hmm. but um and until i started having to do a lot of video editing but dude yeah. get this that that screencast series that new mm-hmm. liveware screencast series it took me like two hours from start uh, that's not true because i actually recorded the whole thing the day before and trashed it because i didn't like it mm-hmm. but the day that i put it out it took me like two and a half hours from record to edit to export and upload and push to the live word. It was crazy. It wow. renders so fast. Yeah, the yeah. fan was fast going crazy. Because you have the discrete GPU fast. and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Dude, it was crazy. <sighs> Hell yeah. It was dog. great. So, yeah. I like edit, I edit them all and I stack them up and then I batch export and it just like sits there and fan Grinds. renders. Yeah, yeah. And it's, dude, it's good. I'm, in it. awesome. I'm into it. Yeah. Hell yeah. 
Okay, so what about you? Uh, what do you got, Deacon? What do I got? What do I got? I got things. Um, I've been watching the show Billions. Okay. On Showtime. Uh, okay. There's a lot of it. I think there's like six seasons of it. I'm in like season three right now. Um, it is good. I mean, it's bad, but it's also good. Okay. So it's bad in the sense that it's got kind of that that like shimmer of like network TV about it. Oh. <laughs> you know, where it's yeah. like you can just it's just got this very like TV yep. feeling to it. Sure. Which it's Showtime, so it's also like it's that, but they like say curse words and there's boobs and butts and stuff, mm. you know. Yep. But they also have like a kind of a network TV aesthetic about them, unlike like an HBO show or something. Yep. Um. So there's that caveat. Network TV vibe. If you can't get with it, it might put you off. But there's an underlying thing in this show that I just, is just so good. So it's about a guy who runs a hedge fund. Yep. Um, and uh, basically it's like, and it's also about Paul Giamatti who plays the uh, the U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York. Okay. Who basically his whole job is like prosecuting Wall Street guys. Um, and so it is about a crazy power struggle between like the u.s attorney and one of the richest guys in the world um and it's wild it's just a wild show um but i think it does a really good job at like talking about like a, a certain type of like um like psychopathic um wealth that I feel like doesn't really get addressed in media much except in sort of like a surface level, like, dude, this guy's got boats and probably a cocaine problem, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but this kind of like digs deeper into it. Um, it's wild. So I first heard about it on a podcast called Chop a Trap House that if you don't listen to, you should. Um, and they called it <laughs> the Sons of Anarchy of Financial Crime, <laughs> which I thought was a great description because it... Sons of Anarchy also had a little bit of that network TV for sure. thing going on, but underneath it was like a kind of interesting show. Mm-hmm. Um, this is exactly like that. Okay. So it's the Sons What's of Anarchy. On? Where do you watch it? It's on Showtime. Showtime. Um, you have to have the thing, which is unfortunate. Or, I mean, you didn't hear it from me, but there are other ways to watch things on the internet. Really? Is that right? Um, you know, <laughs> don't don't talk to me if you uh, if that hurts you. Um, but yes, I pay for Showtime now just for... Actually, I'm still in my free trial. I got Showtime to watch this show. Okay. And I have not paid for it yet, I don't think. I smell. I just... With the with the MacBook, they gave me a year of Apple Plus, Apple TV Plus. Uh-huh. Um, oh, there's some good stuff on there. Yeah, so I started watching Ted Lasso. I don't know what that is. Dig it. It's good. Um, there's a show... I don't show... know if you like it, but it's... I'm really loving it. There's a show on there it. that is about a game company developing a game. Okay. Um, I can't remember what it's called. It's called like, you know, Adventure Land or something like that. Okay. It's not that because that's too close to Adventure Time. Um, but it's wild. It's a uh, Mac from Always Sunny is like the CEO of this company that is essentially like Blizzard. Mm-hmm. Um, and is like the game the the original guy who like conceived of World of Warcraft basically. Okay. And he's like a crazy egomaniac mech type character. Um 
and but yeah it's interesting they they're there's like it's got some of that silicon valley like insider lingo stuff where like they talk about sprints and hot yep. fixes and stuff so it's like i don't know it's like as a software developer it's cool because it's like they have some like decent understanding of what programmers do yep um, right mixed with like a kind of an interesting idea for a sitcom basically i haven't watched silicon valley enough to make a judgment but uh-huh. i didn't like it um i think there's definitely some very good bits in there isn't it i mean is it not like like bad acting and like obvious like thin plot and like is it not a low quality show i got that it's feeling a, like when i used to watch no. weeds remember weeds yeah, yeah, yeah same vibe so I would th- there are they, I would say it is kind of minimal plot, um, and there I wouldn't say it's bad acting. Really, um, I felt like the acting is fine. Maybe the first did you start at the beginning? Maybe the first couple episodes might have been bad. Saw um, the hot dog one, the like hot dog AI pick one. And... Yeah, so there. I mean, that's the thing. The quality of the episodes, of the episodes vary, right? Yeah, but they it is the only show that talks about like can make the jokes that are actually worth making about tech. Yeah. Because it's the only show that has like enough vocabulary about tech to make those jokes. Right. Right. Yeah. That's cool. So like, there's something about that, that it's like, okay, well there's like something worth talking about in here. Like it, you know, like many shows might have a character who's a startup douchebag. Yeah. Right. But this show has like like seven from the, has like seven flavors of startup douchebag that all definitely (laughs) exist because like, The startup douchebag is not a unified thing. Yeah. Right. Tommy so, Everford. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, Tommy. Tommy time. But yeah. Anyway, uh, okay. you should give We're, Silicon Valley a shot. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I was kind of putting it out there to see if you'd tell me that. Yeah. I think because I, I, think I it's could be told good. that for sure. Um. Okay, Deke. That's that's really good, Deke. Hmm. Uh, I got another bit of news for you. Yeah. Uh, Jack Ellis, familiar? name sounds familiar yeah, yeah, yeah twitter guy right yep vapor yep. guy um super cool dude mm-hmm. super cool i hung out so with he works on, on vapor is that what you're saying no he's he's runs fathom analytics okay co-founder guy and he wrote a he wrote a course or did a mm-hmm. course on did a course serverless on laravel yeah cool um super dope dude so i just wanted to put that out there that that i don't know that's all I wanted to say. Dope. He's a dope dude. Um, my dope dude of the of the month, the guy I've been hyping a lot, is Jose Soto, our good friend oh, yeah. and compatriot That's, from Titan. I mean, I'm with you. It feels like old news. Yeah, it feels I'm like old news, it. but it's like, new news. It's old it's, news to us, but it's new news. Well, and you can tell he's like really putting some stuff together over there. Yeah, like for sure. Some of these things that he's been stewing on for a long time are starting to really get locked yeah. in pretty tight, and he's making some YouTube videos, and he's like, yep he's like on it so cool. i feel like people should go look at look into his his thing yep because he's got a I lot going on takeout because of my new macbook yeah and it's so baller i mean yeah. it's perfect because it's like remember when valet came out and like you're just like oh yeah well i'll just use this for everything now <laughs> yep same thing like takeout i used and was like okay this will be another thing that like laravel mix mm-hmm. is better than anything out there but happens like to accidentally be branded in Laravel. Like it's the right, Laravel right. ecosystem, but it has nothing yep. to do with Laravel. It's just a really fantastic freaking tool. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So um, I, I don't know. I used it and instantly it was like, oh, I'm probably going to use this forever. Yeah. Oh, I'm hooked. Unfortunate. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, this is actually 
amazing and I'm so glad it exists. Yeah, that's And it's cool. obvious, you know, you'd use it and you're like, I'm not saying it was easy. I'm not saying anything, but it's in the same way that like I want liveware to be obvious. It's like, right. you're just like, oh it's yeah, intuitive. this makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Like, yeah, this is exactly how it should be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's so cool. Yeah. But anyway, um, Jose, one of the one of the Joseisms that is not uh, totally public, um, but it's not like a secret, is that Jose is like the king. Well, I think there's actually a power struggle going on within Titan to be the king of this right now. So I won't say that Jose is the king, but Jose is a contender for the king of desktop automation. Oh, Matt Stauffer um, being his rival. Uh, it's I, it's gotta actually, be I think close. I think Andrew Morgan who joined after you left. I think. Okay. I mean, there's um, a lot of contenders over there. Think about like. Anyway, go on. But I feel like almost everybody there. Um, yeah, I actually just looked it up. Uh, well, you told me about it before the show. Um, holy cow! So no, Hammerspoon is wild. So it is like a desktop automation thing. Um, it has, you write your config files in Lua. Um, Whoa. And basically it has like deep hooks into a bunch of the applicate or a bunch of the operating system APIs. For Mac? Um, it works for Mac? For Mac. It is a Mac thing. Oh. Um, Interesting. So the thing that uh, Jose just helped me install just now is called uh, Hammerspoon Grid, which okay. is wild. So you press a keyboard shortcut of yep. your choosing jose okay. has it hooked up where all of his keyboard shortcuts are managed by carabiner yeah and then like he uses url schemes to make those transport to hammerspoon but you cool. can actually just have hammerspoon define its own keyboard shortcuts sure too. okay um so i do a keyboard shortcut and then up on my screen is a grid of mm -hmm. squares okay. right and so the top row of squares is one two three four five six seven eight nine ten zero yep or nine zero, right? So it's like okay. the top row of my keys. The next row is the second row of my keys, Q through P. The next oh, one is okay. A through semicolon, and the next one is Z through slash, right? Okay. So I press the keyboard shortcut, a grid yep. comes up on my screen, and one of my windows is now highlighted in blue, okay? Yeah. Now I can press two keys, like one oh, and B. to be the left and left top corner bottom top right left corner. corner and bottom right corner and that window will place and it will automatically very interesting it will automatically select the next application that i have open and so then i so i can basically just like totally grid out my whole thing instantly like boom 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 um hmm. and then it's done you can press escape at any point and you're out of the grid um you press left arrow it goes to your left monitor right arrow it goes to your right monitor um you press tab if you want to skip a certain application, move on to the next one. Hmm. It's uh, You can quit applications from within this view as well. Like you can right. queue them. It's wild. Okay. What is this? What's the, the like family of tools called? With, like for, window management. Yeah. Window, okay. But we've talked like, about window management before. Yeah. So and I remember looking in a bunch of those tools and kind of coming up like, like so Hammerspoon, uh, oh, this is going to require too much like Mac hackery. So Hammerspoon is the thing you want to do. I think okay. is so it different that, than the options the that I would have in, seen? Yeah, yeah, you would have seen like apps that are for window management, right? For sure. Hammerspoon is not an app for window management. Gotcha. This is just a win a Hammerspoon config that you can set up. Okay. Um, which is like eight lines of code that you drop into your config file. Okay. And then you're set. Um, Sweet. It's so wild, and 
you can do so many other things with hammer spoon. So you could like, you can do things like detecting when hardware devices are plugged in or not. So the stuff I'm really interested in is like having my layouts change when I plug into my big monitors, you know, that's crazy. It's really, really insane. That's cool, man. It's so, it's so wild. So anyway, Jose and I spent like 15 minutes earlier today installing this grid thing in my hammer spoon and like him showing me around it. It's so wild. Sweet. Yeah. I dig. Yeah. I use Divi, but I... Yeah, like, yeah, So I've used all the things before, Divi and Moom and all the all the yep. whatchamacallits and the who's it's right. and the what's it's. Yeah. All of them, in my mind, have required too many keyboard shortcuts, if that makes sense. Sure. Like, you, you have your, like, command shift left, command shift right. Like, you, I mean, you can set them to whatever you want, right? But it's like, you basically kind of, like, want to think about what are the most common layouts that I use... Because I don't like the ones where it like gives you a grid and like you draw on the grid or whatever. Right. I take that and I hack it so that the grid is whatever. Basically, I use Divi to, and I map a specific Divi thing, which to command shift O, which mm-hmm. turns my windows into that like margin around them, yep, you yep. know, like sexy margin. And that's it. That's all I use it for. I would so, like to have something that I could easily split and have a browser and an editor half and yeah, half yeah. the screen when I want that. And so this and is could, this is what I'm saying is like if you want to go down that road of having like a bunch of different layouts, yeah, yeah, you have to end up like remembering which keyboard shortcut corresponds to what layout, right? And for sure, all this all and this other stuff, yeah. yep. which I don't like. So then there's the other ones where like it actually gives you a grid per window and you kind of drag over the grid and it moves the window. I think Divi does that, right? Divi gives you a grid that you yeah 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 um and like that's fine too, I guess. So that's like, your, that takes your mouse. I, this yeah. is nice. It's just like command shift Z and then like uh, QE or whatever. And it's just, like, yeah, it just like puts the thing where I want it. Um, cool. And then you can always, if you really have like layouts that you want to marry, you can just bind those to keyboard shortcuts too. But I, that's not what I want. Gotcha. Okay. 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 Really cool. Really cool stuff. Shout that's out cool, Jose. Bro. At Jose can help. <laughs> He can. That he, yeah, he can. He does. He's a good boy. He's guy a very helps. Nice boy. Very yeah. nice boy. Uh, Daniel. Sir. Now may not be the time. But you know that whole push state thing? Yeah. Oh, dude. Yeah, you had a whole thing with that, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, remember when I like messaged you yeah, guys yeah, yeah. that I had redone it all? And I never came back. I, that's fine. I don't care. I rewrote all of that as well. So how many times have you rewritten push state now? Dude, you have no freaking clue. <laughs> I I want to just like give you a, some of the crazy deep things. Sure. Can I give you like one of them? Yeah. All right. Here's one. Um, remember how, so Daniel and I came across this thing where you get an error if you're trying to push. Okay. Quick recap on history state for the listener. History state API, literally you're in JavaScript and you can do window dot history. And then that's the object and there's history dot replace state. And basically what it is, it's a it's a way to hijack the behavior of a back button and a forward button, basically. It's a way to create virtual pages that you can back and forward to. They get pushed to that back and forward stack if you right-click on your back button. And there's a, like an event you can listen to when they pop off of that stack. So you can store data in the stack. And then when you go back and forth and you hit that data, it'll pop it off. So you can react to things. This is basically the fundamental technology behind Turbolinks and Inertia. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so both of those tools use this, tons of tools use it. Uh, and like SPA, any like route, like view route or any of that stuff, all uses push state. So we use push state for the query string stuff. Before we used replace state. So what replace state does is it takes your current back button item and it replaces its state with something. So it's not that fa- All I used it for was to change the current URL and that's it. And that is easy as pie. The di- this is the crazy thing. I thought that the difference between replace state and push state was a little bit. I thought it's a little bit more complicated to use push state, but it is orders of magnitude more complicated <laughs> to use push state and pop state. Like pop state doesn't even exist with replace state, right? Okay. Like right? I'm get. I'm saying. I guess I'm asking that. I don't know that much about replace state. So like re- replace state is like push state, except it doesn't give make a new entry in the back button history. It right. Just replaces so the current can, one. There's nothing, there's nothing to off. ever pop off. Of. Right. Unless you use it in conjunction with push state. Yeah. But the way I was using it was basically like a way to say, hey, rewrite the current URL to this URL. Uh-huh. So easy. But this push state stuff is crazy. So one of the things that we ran into um, that me and Daniel tried to fix was in Firefox, if you try to push an object to push state that's more than 640 kilobytes, then it will break because they store history state on the file system and so they impose that limit. Um, and so we were getting breakages for people who had tons of components. Um, and there was reasons that we were, we had a, a component storage problem, but okay, here's the thing, Daniel. So our fix was on the MDN site, it says this on the MDN docs, like right up at the top. It's like, yep. And when this breaks down, because you run out of a limit, you just use session storage, just use session storage. And that's what we did. So that's what we did. So instead of storing the data about a live wire component in history state we store a key and actually store the data in session storage so now when we pop it off the stack we look up that data in the session storage correct so guess what daniel now i'm getting issues about uncaught exception storage exceeds session storage quota oh no way yeah is it from firefox only no this is chrome as well so the strategy we fixed we fixed we changed to is actually more buggy no way because there's no cleanup strategy so it just keeps pushing on to the session storage even if you know you're refreshing the page it's still pushing new ones on and uh and it maxes out I thought at we like we added the, a cleanup strategy because or no isn't the session supposed to right but sessions last a long freaking time if you think about it gotcha you can have a big freaking session and a lot of page loads <laughs> so depending on how you use it okay so here's the thing I'm like, okay, well, clearly we need some sort of hybrid strategy sure. for this thing. So I'll give you the long story short. And basically now Livewire stores it in history state and in a try catch. So if there's a problem, it will store it in session storage. And then it's a try catch in session storage, but it's a try, it's a recursive try catch that if it, it catches a exceed storage quota error, it goes to the last stored session item from Livewire, pops it off, and tries again, and continues mm-hmm. to do that until there's enough free storage to store the current thing. So now you shouldn't get those errors at all, and there's this like multi-crazy layered strategy thing going on. It's wild. And that's just one of the extra layers. <laughs> it's just I. So I created a JavaScript object to mant two classes. One is uh, yeah. So sue me. You say yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. You listen to that, huh? um funny i i don't even know that anybody listens to that i only do it like i'll i'll go months 
without listening to it and then okay. like one day i'll be out going to home depot and be like i'm gonna catch up on all of these cool i do that with all short. guest snippet yeah yeah um so yeah so i created an object to manage the history state objects and then another object to actually be the actual history state object right um because they're both so deep dude it's so deep oh my gosh there's a lot there daniel remember that problem we ran across with the ids how you like can't how you and chris wanted to make ids not unique yes okay so the whole implementation was totally broken because of that because we have unique ids so whatever i had to create signatures in addition to the ids so that i and oh my gosh i have to and i replace dude i'll have to show you it's it's the most buck wild thing i've had to deal with since like i don't since like building alpines x4 or something or doing alpines transition system it's like this is Is the latest thing that i feel solid right now brain is pushed to its limits it does yep hell yeah i mean we've worked through a bunch of bugs worked through a bunch of cases hell yeah um there are open issues but i think they're all on old on old versions um but everybody that i knew had problems those problems are now fixed and it is freaking rugged dude holy crap It works with nested components. I literally have to like order everything right so that when I pop off a stack, I replace by most inter most inner nested component first and then replace outwards. It is buck wild. That's crazy. <laughs> I have to build a tree of the nested component. Dude, it is insane. That's so anyway, crazy. I was pretty bummed out because I felt like this was a little bit over my head, but by the end of the weekend, I you, I, you got it. I got it and now I'm freaking pumped. So yeah. it's a, well, it's and a now, good system. And now you have like full, 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 like deep knowledge of the code of that yes. section, right? right? Like there's nothing yep. in there where it's like, I don't necessarily, like, I don't know why you did yep. made this choice or whatever. Like you totally. made all the choices. Yes. It, the, uh, the ball is back in my court. That yeah, code yeah, yeah. Is, is back to being mine. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, for that's many wild, iterations, though. yeah. That's wild. So can we talk about my um, Livewire question I telegrammed you and then didn't clarify? Surely. Because I figured we would record a podcast and I could talk about surely, it there. Surely, surely. Okay, so I have a Livewire component, yep. right? Um, that Livewire component has a route model bound model. Yes. As is a thing that we can do, right? Yep. And that model is, you know, stuck into a property, right? So whatever and i want to take advantage of our new thing where when we update a model that is route model bound uh we get history stuff for the listener which also for you daniel i haven't documented this functionality at all this is the way livewire 2 works um i'm feel okay documenting it because the kind of thing that you could assume already happens mm-hmm. um so i don't feel like a too sneaky but I'm not sold that it, it just feels like one of those things that I might have regret for. So I, I, I know you're like, what are you talking about? You're um, crazy. No, dude, it's I worked so through good. a bunch of freaking bugs with that system. There's still more. Um, yeah, it's it's just a tough thing. Super tough. Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, but I dig it. And I think it is something that will help us in the future. But to catch the user up, the the deal is that if you have a live wire component on a page, that accepts a query, accepts a route parameter. So if you're on page like step slash one and you have a route level live wire component, like route colon colon get slash step slash curly brace number or something. And then you have a live wire property called number, called number, 
they're both like kind of bound if you think about it because you don't need the mount method anymore in livewire and if you don't want and so now when number updates in the livewire state the url url will update to match which is great because now if you're if you're building a step form the user can hit back and the step will change and the step state will actually change um so it's very nice it's very fancy it's very cool uh, mm-hmm. go on decal okay so let's say i so i have like a user right that's passed in through the url yeah right and i want to basically switch users in the live wire state right okay. and i want to do this from a drop down right so i want to use like a select element uh yep. that has a list of all the users that i'm going to allow you to switch to yeah right and then i want yep. you to like hit that drop down choose a user off the list yeah and then the user that is bound to the component will update yep and then the url will update right yep, yep. what what i don't want is to create an update user method what i want i want to wire model that select input yeah is that a thing yeah. i can do uh let me think about this actually this is hmm no no why you can't do that so you would have the property on the on the livewire component would be an eloquent model that's correct public user yep okay so you would have to do wire model user you could maybe you, you see could... where i'm going with this are you getting you getting close you would have to i know what you're saying but what would the value be of the one of those items one of those options in the select? so it would have to be i would assume the primary key right right and uh so then livewire would have to be in some way or another so you could either do this explicitly with casters or implicitly by because you have a type into property that is a model you just yep. know that when that gets updated with an ID or with a with whatever that I should try and do like a find with that as the primary key. Yeah. And I don't get know, that man. thing. <laughs> I'm not I don't uh I'm thinking that it would be you would like have to have some sort of I don't know. It would be, how would you authorize? You know, you'd have to always make sure that you are, that the property is set to a user that it's allowed to be set to, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I think A, it's probably too sneaky and, and behind the scenes because yeah, there's yeah. no precedence for like wire modeling to something based on an ID. And I'm always like skeevy about messing with like eloquent model magic. Cause I really don't want, even if it's technically secure, I don't want somebody to think that like, just cause they listed five IDs in that mm-hmm. select dropdown and didn't list some other IDs that they're mm-hmm. protected from somebody maliciously changing the ID, injecting, of, adding, ID injecting yeah, a new yeah. option with a new ID. And so yeah, you need yeah. some way to protect against that. And like in a way that, that they would, you okay. Know, but so let's let's take the other case right where instead i do like a update user to id okay method on the component yep. and so then i do like whatever like 
whenever the checkbox changes, I run yeah. this method. I pass yeah. in the value of the ID that I just chose. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, how is that different, right? A user could still inject their own option into the select sure, box. Sure, but because you but wrote now that the onus hook, is on me to... Yeah, to your brain will say like, oh, any ID could come in through here. I should make sure that that they that this user can access that this mm -hmm, model, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. or they might, you know, f do a find on like auth arrow user arrow, um, you know, auth arrow user arrow profiles where profile ID is, you know, something mm -hmm, like that mm -hmm. off a relationship. But so I'm fine with the hooks. I want people to use the hooks. I think a good case for this would be just create a piece of data that is, you know, call it user ID or switchable user ID or something. And then wire model that and have an updated hook where you set the current, you know, user model itself, which would accomplish the same thing. Hmm. So could you do it with a caster? I think you could do it with a caster. I guess the problem is the casters don't exist anymore. Oh, don't they? No. They're in the docs. We removed them. Did we? They're not. We did. Me and you. Well, they're in the docs. They're not in the V2 docs, are they? I think they are. Mm. Maybe I was looking. Was I looking at the V1 docs? I don't know, bro. Now we got to read. It would be now we gotta go in check the properties the page, and it would be called caster. It's not. I, I removed it for sure. Huh. I put it in the upgrade guide and all that stuff, and I proposed alternatives and things you could do. The thing is, for the magic stuff like that, I try to go off of like obvious scenarios that people assume would be able to work, the majority of people, and that the alternative is really like feels manual and arduous and yeah. this is one that to me i don't think people would guess that's the way it worked they'd have to like learn that mm -hmm. i don't know Work. i don't mean to shit on you d cole but no no no. i just was like it's interesting but i'm not about it I don't yeah, think. yeah well then just like the idea the thing that was interesting to me was like binding to a model yeah right like and i could see that being useful in a bunch of places but i don't I don't like 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 you know whatever like a radio button situation or well you know whatever there's like lots of places where like I could see that being cool yeah yeah but I also get why it's not yeah. the best idea. yeah I guess a good way of describing it for me is like there's right now there's an there's a implicit contract that if you set a model mm -hmm. it won't change unless you change it mm -hmm. you know there's like a contract like I have security stuff in place so that primary keys don't get changed you know so that yeah, stuff yeah, yeah. doesn't get changed unless you opt into it getting changed you know mm -hmm. so anyway yeah interesting yeah it is interesting word well yeah we're we're getting we're getting started on livewire over here on like putting it in our app word so How's that's pretty fun just playing around with dude our our exam system have i told you about the exam system like beyond the livewire part of it I don't know. Like the migration from the legacy to the new one and like the database tables, the new event sourcing and stuff. Event sourcing. Yeah. Yeah. It's so crazy because it's like we just wrote the code. So we've written all this code over the last several weeks or whatever mm -hmm. that does exam stuff, but it's only dealt with the legacy system. Right. So it's just mm -hmm. been about like, okay, when, when things are happening in our new exam system, we yeah. need these legacy tables to continue to be updated in the same way that they already were because other things in the app depend on these tables. Yep. Um, so we've just written a ton of code to do that. Event sourcing is crazy. So our whole scoring system, like there, we're saving almost nothing, yeah. right? All of this is just happening on the aggregate. 
in our mm-hmm. in our event sourcing. It's wild. So our whole scoring system is like totally like stateless event driven stuff. It's wild. That's crazy. Um, and so we finished all that, and we we're like, okay, so well now we need to start making a front end. So we're going to need some models, <laughs> you know. Hmm. And so we didn't need to make eloquent models for this feature until it came time to make a front end. Um, yep. But then we did, and we just make eloquent eloquent models, and we just only add fields to them as we need them. So because the events have all the data, right? So you and can, so if we yeah. need a piece of data for our new front end, then we add it to the table. But we Very can start with these super minimal tables, and, and it then can even it, be like computed data, right? And here's the crazy thing: we can push it to production with a number of tables that is smaller than the ones we're going to ultimately need. Yeah. And then later we can add a table, replay the events, and all that data will get populated. Mm, that is You see wild. how sick that is? Yeah, that is like, crazy. And so it's so crazy. It's so wild. So anyway, we it's cool because we get to just like literally define exactly the models mm. we want from this legacy data. Right. And so it's like, because like every time you always think whenever you're doing a big refactor like this, man, we could start by like changing the database schema right, right. moving all yes. the data into like a more a less shitty database schema right. and then refactoring all the old unmaintainable code to support yep. this new fancy database schema yep or we could go the other way and we could write some new like laravel good code but it's going to be based on this dog shit database yep. schema and like what sure. direct you know and so you have to make this compromise one way or the other the cool thing with the, doing it this way is like no, I get to pretend like it's a greenfield app and like I get to write the database <laughs> schema that I always want, you know, and still wow. support the old system through event sourcing until such a time as that's no longer necessary. Then I just delete those tables, delete those projectors and like life goes on. <laughs> that's nuts. It's insane. It's totally nuts. It's insane. Like it's such a weird programming concept i don't know so the process if you have a so this greenfield app let's say you have it out in the world Mm -hmm. and somebody there's like a profile form for a user Mm -hmm. and they want to edit their profile so they update their name Mm -hmm. and they hit save Mm -hmm. it gets persisted to a database yes presumably because it's eloquent then how does it get turned into an event uh, so no, that's not how it happens. So it, it gets persisted to a database by triggering an event. So what happens is we trigger a user updated profile event. So do you have to, is there something like you're dealing with eloquent in its native form, but hooking in new events to do your stuff? Or are you like sort of doing things like, are you, would you just have a user model and do arrow save and then hook into like save events to create the events? Or are you actually like never actually saving so we've actually done both so in our first thing we needed to just generate a bunch of data but we weren't going to use it yet okay and so in that case we just hooked the save event with an observer basically and then uh created events like yep so that we could start populating data right um but the issue with that is if like that's something you're not that's not event sourcing though right at that yep. point, you are just like saving events as a side effect so that later down the road, you can do event sourcing. Yeah, I guess I figured that maybe because you have multiple systems, like maybe you're event sourcing like a legacy system, but you're using... like Anyway, go on. So that is a possibility as well. 
but that's yeah. not what we're doing. So what we're going to do is actually like save. So on, when a user updates their profile, yeah, we'll fire a user updated profile event. Okay. Um, with the relevant data, right? And you, is, is this like a Laravel event? In a, well, it, it is kind. But, yeah, it is a Laravel event, but it's like a special one. But when you say event, when you say create a user profile updated event. Do you mean like an event source event or like a Laravel event, event that then creates the event source event? It's an event source event that is fired by the Laravel like event system. Okay, gotcha. But it's a special type of event. So you could presumably have like a method on that user model called save event or mm-hmm. whatever, like persist event that instead of saving it to the database, it pushes that event. Okay, so it pushes the event to the event source system. You could even completely system. replace the save method, honestly. Yeah, just hook into save. Yeah, yeah. So... Decole, you you have some sort of are you using Kafka? What are you using for event? No, event you don't have to use any of that. What are you using for the event system? Uh so we're just using the Spotsy Laravel event sourcing package, but literally okay, it just is fires it... an event which is like in Laravel. Okay, yeah. And is uh generally synchronous rather than asynchronous. Okay. Although you can do asynchronous events for things that don't need to be synchronous. Okay. But literally it just fires an event which then part of the event handler for that event uh, saves that data or calls a projector. And then a projector does something with the event data, right? Yeah, so let let me back up a little bit. I want to like draw these lines from scratch. Sure, Kafka is not relevant to this at all. Got it, got it. You're very angry that I said Kafka. (laughs) I understand. (laughs) So you have a user model and you have like- I (laughs) hate Kafka. I see that. Baseball, football. (laughs) I'm not using Um, Kafka. How dare you? Um, so, okay. You have this user model and you have a, let's say we have a method on it called instead of save, instead of calling save, where you would normally call it save, you say save event. Sure. You, you could do that. Yes. Yeah. And then in this method, you use Spotsy's event library, whatever, mm-hmm. to create an event, mm-hmm. which is basically a thing at a point in time that has all of the relevant data. Now, is it is it if I were saving, would it be would that event store the current data, the current slice of the user table? Would it have all the fields of the attributes, or would it just have the updated field? Would it just sure. be like? So I would argue that um, that's not a good way to structure it, right? And so rather than having like a user saved event, right. which is like so broad as to be almost useless, okay, um, I would say like. I would be stick closer to like features. So like, what is a feature, right? So like one of our events is when a user um, either subscribes or unsubscribes, right? Okay, sure. So what happens when that happens is that a user's role changes that from okay. a subscriber or from a member to a guest, right? Yep. yep. So we have a user role changed event that we fire Everywhere in the app where we go to update a user's role, we fire a user role changed event. Okay. Rather than firing like a user saved or something that's Makes so sense. generic, okay. you know? So then the user role saved event um, is an event with the trait should be stored. And so okay. events with the trait should be stored, a copy of basically the event data gets stored to the database in the, uh, in the stored events table. So we have a, just a table full of events that are yeah. of all different classes and data. So in this case, you have a profile updated event and it has all of the data that are that would be like the attributes on that model. Yeah. 
Well, or okay. all of the data that would be relevant to that form. Sure. You know? Um, because it's the kind of thing that it doesn't matter how you structure your events. Uh, what I guess that's that's up to you because we'll get there in a second, but the projectors are the thing that consume the events. So you mm-hmm. create the events to the projectors. You create Correct. the projectors to the events. Okay. So I So I have complete freedom to store whatever data I want and name this thing however I want. And the only thing that matters is that it's an event, which like my mental model for an event is that there's a big stack of events, yes. that it's a linear, the, the order matters mm-hmm. and uh, loss, it can't be loss C or whatever, you know, it has to be like from the ground up, like all the data has to be represented in these events. And I'm picturing them like stacks, like for each different event, you create a new event. Now there's a new stack. Mm-hmm. They don't really crisscross per se. It's not like one pile with different names. Maybe it is, but the way I'm thinking about it is just these independent silos that are event names with all their data. Yes. And every single event item has the same exact schema for that event type. Uh, yes. Right. Okay. So, so and and with Spotsy's media library package or what? No, what is this event sourcing package? Event sourcing package. It's, I'm presuming it's a database driven thing. Uh, yes. Although you don't have to store events. Events can be in memory only. Gotcha. Okay. But uh, it just so happens that the way we want to do this is that we want to store all the events. Right. Because without storing, there's no replaying. Right. Okay. So you have, you have this user arrow save event, persist event profile or mm-hmm. update profile event. So then you call Spotsy's package. And it does its internal thing, which really just adds some row to a database table called stored events with a bespoke schema and name. Correct. And then there's listeners to that event, Mm -hmm. like in the application, sort of real-timey listeners where you could opt to not store the event and these listeners would run, Mm -hmm. where they take that data and they consume it in some way to, let's say, um, persist the data to a database? Yeah. So they they can do whatever they want right they can send an email they can sure. do anything yeah. but um the goal of a projector is to basically take that data which now is in sort of like this formless blob of the stored events table right with their json columns full of data and all you know other weird stuff that happens in that mm-hmm. thing and take that data and then project it into the models where it's useful so so this so I, I got the first half settled, right? Like mm-hmm. Yep, you're good up until the stored events table. Right. So we have the stored events table. Mm-hmm. Now is the end result of this whole process in terms of our user profile that there's like like pretend that I'm a normal Laravel developer like myself. I want to create a user profile table. I have a profiles table with rows for each user and a foreign mm-hmm. key and name and address and whatnot. And normally I just update the model and arrow save or mm-hmm. arrow update or whatever. Okay. But now instead I'm introducing a layer of indirection. Mm-hmm. I'm persisting the new data to an event that gets stored on a stack. Mm-hmm. Then well, I want to understand more about the, the listeners so the projector the, does. Right. But hold on without even using those words. I just want to make sure, sure that the end result of this, the end is result the is the same identical. thing. Yes. Okay. It's a, it's a profiles table with rows, the way you would write it. If you were just writing a layer of a lap. Okay. Correct. Okay. So then is there a difference between a listener and a projector? Um, so not really, right? Like a projector is a type of listener, 
Right. But the job of a projector is to project data into your database. Right. Okay. Right. So like a, you could have a listener that does anything. Yep. Right. But a projector's job is to project that data. Yep. So where do you register this projector? In a service provider somewhere. So there's something like uh, projector colon colon listen for pass in the event name have a call i know this might not be the uh, no, real so, syntax, so the projector but... knows what events it's listening to um, okay so you just you just say like pro- i think it's i think the class is actually called projectionist okay. the the class with which you register projectors um okay. so i think it's like projectionist colon colon register and then a projector class all right so the projector class specifies the event that it's listening for I think that's true. I don't remember. Either way, it doesn't matter. You end up... But somewhere there's a mapping that's like... Somewhere this there's event. a mapping of this event, this projector. Yeah. And then the projector gets has some sort of handle method that accepts the raw like data in Correct. a data schema. Yep. And then from there, you're just in Laravel. You can do user colon colon yep. create or user colon colon update. Mm-hmm. Um, this is very interesting to me. Okay. Yeah. So, okay, so the, the, the pro-cons, the, the con is obviously there's a layer of indirection now. Right. Um, are there other cons like, uh, I mean, so I, it seems that, that indirection would be the, indirection and not using the standard Laravel story with Eloquent would be the two big cons off the top of my head. Sure. Um, I think that's valid. Then I'm wondering if there's deeper cons. So let's get into replaying for a second. Sure. So without replaying the mental model that I just described, this is all accurate, right? Like yep. this is how it, how you would use it. If you didn't store them, you would just use them as sort of a pass through thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. So now that you store events, mm-hmm. you could, let's say that you want to migrate to a new, to, from MySQL to Postgres. Sure. So you create, you know what? Yeah. Okay. Whatever. You create a... I'm trying to think if this is the best example. You create a Postgres database and you update your projectors to work with that. Like, let's say that there's some Postgres specific syntax sure. that you would need to change for MySQL. So you update that. You have your new Postgres thing. And now you uh, just basically call some method that's like replay events. It's just, an, ar- just it's an artisan command. Yeah. Okay. And it'll just go from zero to a hundred. I'm guessing you can specify a specific event. Or you can specify a specific event. You can specify, uh, like, I want to replay from this ID forward. Um, right, okay. If you if you have, like, a snapshot at a certain point and you just want to apply on top of that. Um, right. You can also specify, uh, like, a certain class of event only. So only yep. events of this type. Um, yeah. So a couple questions. One one question, is there is there a con of sort of, I could see being kind of getting, like, confused and lost when you're replaying not from the beginning when Um, you're replaying from a specific point in time like i remember at at a baseball football service it was all event source and then there was that big like crash day where like the sky fell mm -hmm. and it was like oh because we replayed the kafka events but we forgot x or or maybe they replayed like it from one partial point and maybe like wouldn't you even get like an off by one issue if you like when what would be the case that you would replay a subset of the entire event log you know sure so a good example of replaying a subset would be uh 
whatever uh my database got hacked and okay. all of my fields were filled with links to russian gambling websites <laughs> perfect right yes and um i didn't i have a backup from last night yeah right but i also want to you know say for some reason my events table didn't get destroyed right, right? okay yeah that's but the all, premise here. <laughs> all, my other, all my other tables did right so if i have the events um then i can basically restore from the backup from yesterday yep and then say okay what is the last event id in this backup it's like this one you know whatever twenty thousand. Sure. So now I want to replay from 20,000 and just, it means I don't need to replay the 20,000 events before this because I know that that state of things leads to the state that is in the backup right now. Okay. And so I'm just going to apply basically a patch on top of the backup. Sure. Just by applying some subset of events or another example that's not just like linear like that is like if I'm going, say I make a change to, um, the schema of a table that is projected like yeah. a projected table yeah um if i make a change to that schema and i have additional data now that i need to add to that table yeah um i might replay only the events that modify that table right so say, yes. say yeah, i've got yeah, like yeah. three different events sure. that affect right. users Yes. But most of the events only affect posts, right? Right. Then if I made a change to the users table, I might yeah. just replay all the user events. And so you could forget that there's an event that you needed to replay that impacts the users table and get yes, data drift. Could. Right. Okay. So that's like one pitfall. Um, what about if you add data, like in the profile form, now we want to add a Google Maps location or something like a geolocation. But but it also, if you do forget that, and you get data yeah. drift. You can always just you can always just replay them all. Right. The yes. only reason to ever replay a subset is just it it's let Speed. less time. Yeah. So okay. Um is what about the scenario where I add a new field to my profile page? So now the event, the user profile updated event, now going forward, everything before doesn't have a geolocation. Everything going forward does. Mm -hmm. So do you have to like now? add like a conditional in your projector yeah you it's, i mean you have to handle that somehow in your projector okay yeah so there's no promise that like i don't know what it would even be but uh but yeah okay so so the the schema is something that could drift and that you have to deal with yeah you have to handle that drift right okay um okay generally okay. speaking you shouldn't do that though right like say there was something weird like that okay you could add another event that is triggered by your projector. Right. And then so you, you could, could like store all that data somewhere. And then you could delete that event once you've like handled the drift. Interesting. Right? So would it be, so in this case, I have a profile saved event. I want to add a new field. Mm -hmm. So I create a new, so in, in the, the um, spirit of immutability, mm -hmm. I add a new event called geolocation updated. Mm -hmm. And now I'm firing both of those things. Mm -hmm. So if you think about it. Every profile that was saved up until this point. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. Everything after this point has both that normal event, but also has this extra event. Is there any case where when you're replaying, you have to replay 
all of the profile events before the geolocation event existed? Like, is that how it works? Are all events, yeah, is there a global scope of order. time? It all gets replayed in order. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Here's a question. Is there any concept but of... there is also, like, one of the things that we do, which is not normal. So, normally, you just replay by ID, right? Okay. So, you start at one and you go to a million. Yep. You know? And so, things just are auto-incremented and stuck in there. Yeah, because we did some stuff where we needed to fake some historical events. Mm. Um, we actually built our own event repository, uh, and like monkey patch Spotsy's event repository, um, to basically uh sort the events by created at instead of by ID. Mm. Um, so that we could then like just inject events at certain times, right? Without having to like yeah. rewrite every ID, right? So what are the cases where you would want to manipulate historical events? Uh, so for us, it's basically like we have a feature that exists. Yeah. Right. We have a, like a long term existing table yeah. with a bunch of information that we can use to construct historical events if we needed to. Right. Like, so we can see that like, someone has a subscription, like we have a started at date on this person's subscription. Yeah. So we could make a user subscribed event for that date. Right. Okay. And, uh, because of basically like we, so we want to start event sourcing these subscribe and unsubscribe things. Right. Yep. And so every user is in some state already, right? Every user is currently either subscribed and or not subscribed. Yeah. So, so you want to seed the first set of right, and so we could just say like we have no historical data before this current time, right? Right. But we were like, well, we really could construct a decent approximation, right? So why would you do that? What is the because, benefit? Because well, doing it, it's just it happens to be a business concern of ours to know as much information about when users subscribed and unsubscribed in the past. Right, but wouldn't that data okay? Because you're you're going forward. Let's say that going forward, you use event sourcing for everything. Mm -hmm. Presumably that started at date would be in an event. Right. So then you wouldn't have to do this. This is a consequence of introducing event sourcing into a system and wanting well, that just, historical It's, it's just us wishing that we had event sourced 20 years ago. Okay. You know, yeah, it's like... I'm wondering why, like, where would that data exist? Right. On? So here's an example, right? Like, so we have a, we have a person who has variously been an on and off member for the past 10 years, right? So sometimes yep. they're a member, sometimes they're a guest, sometimes they're a member, sometimes they're a guest, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, this membership basically is like relevant to like whether or not they have the legal right to practice their trade, right? Yep. So they get sued for something and yep. someone reaches out to us and says, like, was this person a certified home inspector on this date? And we need to like provide yep. data to answer that question, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um. It would be really great if we had a single query we could write that gave us a, basically every subscribe and uns, every piece of subscribe yeah. and unsubscribe data about this given user that we know. And we could plot, yeah. a, we could literally just use like, we could draw a timeline for you of like, here's the date they first subscribed, here's today, and here's all the times when they were and were not a member between here and there. Right. And that makes sense to me because that is, that's the promise of event sourcing. And that makes sense to me. Sorry, mm -hmm. microphone. But... So the problem is that 
the first 80% of that timeline, those yes. events do not exist. Right. And so we're basically saying, well, because we want to make this feature, let's take all the data we have, which is currently scattered through like 15 different tables, including like an audit logs table. Okay. You know. Okay. So it's not like a field on a table that says. Right. Exactly. We right. just have okay. data all all over the place in the yeah. app, which we can use to make rough approximations of when people subscribed and unsubscribed. This makes sense. This and makes so a lot of sense. so we wanted to like co-locate it all into one place in this For event. Sure. So we basically simulated a bunch of historical events based on many different data sources. Right. Here's a question for you. Yeah. I, <laughs> okay. If you are storing, mm, if I go and up- update my profile to Caleb P mm-hmm. and I hit save mm-hmm. and then I'm like, oh, you know what? Caleb Poor's here. Mm-hmm. Save. Caleb P. Caleb Poor's. And I keep changing my mind a million times. Mm-hmm. And it's just the same event back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Mm-hmm. Is there any concept of squashing events? There or totally it- could be. You just have to write it. Like it's not built in. Okay, but we have that, that would we be have gotten a, I could pretty see comfortable that with like the dangerous idea. thing. We've gotten pretty comfortable with the idea that like we can do like creative things with events, right? We just okay. need to be careful if we're deleting data. Uh huh. You know. Yep. Um, the right. nice thing is that so in aggregates, so there's a uh, there's something called aggregates which we haven't gotten totally into, but basically you can have like a so. You, Say you have like a, remember we were talking about that user profile update thing, right? And I said like, I might make an event called like user username changed or something, yeah. right? Which is much more specific than like user updated. Sure. Um, but what you what you would end up having is a user aggregate, okay, which has a bunch of methods on it that are the specific events. So you would still sort of interact directly with the aggregate, which is like the whole user profile. So it's basically so, a collection of events that all deal with basically the same stuff. Okay. So if the events, I could see this working if you have like, let's say instead of this user profile updated event, mm-hmm. you have username updated, you have address updates, you have all yeah, these correct. different events for each individual field. Right. And then you create an aggregate that would be like a computed event that would contain this, the, the content of all these events. Correct. So that makes sense to me if they were all created in sync, if there's like five things moving together and you just aggregate them into one. But what if they're staggered and some are missing in different points? Like, Sure. So the aggregate is not one event that gets stored. All those events are still getting stored. Right. The aggregate is just a place to reckon about all of those events together. So how, how so would the you, nice thing about using an, the user profile example, let's say that I store that I'm have each individual event for each field and some some of them I've added in the middle so those you know early events didn't have a geolocation stored and new ones do how mm-hmm. would I use aggregators for in this case I don't understand what you're asking I want you to explain to me aggregators in the context of our current thought experiment right so you have a bunch of events right and those events are accessible on the on the aggregate right so you would have like a user aggregate for a given user. Okay. And then you have like an update username method on that aggregate, which would create the relevant event. Oh, so the aggregator is in the creation phase. It's not uh, in the consumption it's, phase. Well, it's both. So here's, the, here's where it gets interesting. Aggregates are versioned. So basically every time you do a persist, which is where you take all the events that are currently in memory and save them. Yep. Right? you bump your aggregate version by one. 
Okay. So this basically allows you to, to um, even if multiple events were fired during a given request, you just take the end state at the end of the request and store it. I'm relatively sure that that's how that works. But the important thing with it is that you can do what's called an aggregate snapshot. And this is what really answers your question about the back and forth thing. So at some point, six months down the line, or I could say this like every week or every day or every hour, I can create an aggregate snapshot, which basically takes an aggregate, gets all of the events up to the current place, gets the projected state and like stores an event that gets me to the current state. So that to replay the events, I don't have to. I now only have to replay one event to get to the current state, and this having to replay hundred thousand. This is like 100, the squashing. Yeah, this is like the squashing. So this is the answer to squashing in event sourcing. Yeah, but it's not. It's it's not squashing. Like you couldn't say like aggregates don't natively support something like saying um, if there are five username changed events within twenty seconds, squash those all down to one event. Right. No. 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 Yeah. But when you I can mean, squash uh, everything from the beginning of history to now. Yeah, I guess that's what I was sort of picturing is like if you have gigabytes and gigabytes of data for one thing and you don't need all that historical data or maybe you take that historical data and throw it in like like Glacier or something mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. just sit there in storage and then you would, yeah, run these aggregates to basically create starting points so that you don't have to replay from the very beginning. Right, so that, that would be, so you're not like running, your aggregates are your interface to your events at a certain point. So, like, I never interact with an event now in any other way than going through an aggregate. Oh, boy. This aggregate thing's confusing me. I know. They're a little bit, they're a little bit difficult because you, this have, is to, like, you um, have to think in events, which is a little bit wild. This is the equivalent of accessors or in, uh, like, in like uh, Redux or whatever. Redux or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. yeah, this is like... It, it is a little bit. Ex- just that extra layer. It's a little bit like, hairy. Damn. I don't think I would have named these things like they are. But, like, when you do start using aggregates instead of dealing with the events manually... It's actually much nicer. Okay. Interesting. Indirection on indirection. Yeah. So these aggregates, is there anything happening automatically? The thing that I'm totally in the dark on is what you mean by versioning them. Sure. So say like, say like, dur- <coughs> say during a given request. Yeah. Right. Um, there is a user like a username changed event and a user email changed event and a password changed event. Yep. Right. All of this stuff, all of these different events are being fired on the user aggregate. Yeah. Right. So the user aggregate is basically, Oh, well, no, that not. Yes. I said yes too soon. So in event sourcing terms, you can think of an aggregate as a model. Okay. So you would have like an aggregate that corresponds to your user. So you would have a user aggregate. Is an aggregate a class? Yeah. And it has a list of events that it listens for? It has No, it has a bunch of... Well, yes, sort of. It's, there's some magic in there. So basically, you, you define these like on given event name methods. Oh, okay. And then you do stuff. And you do stuff in those methods. And the aggregate doesn't get called until the request is sort of finished, until all the events have sort of done their thing. But the aggregate, it, the, the aggregate is what's firing the events often. Wow. So, okay. So from your user profile, okay. 
So from your user <laughs> from your user model with our profile saved method, you're saying user aggregate save profile. Correct. You pass in That's the data. That's much more likely. In the aggregate, you would store the individual events. Correct. Right. Okay. Okay. You, you get what I'm saying now? So now you don't I'm have tracking. to have like a, a bunch of million methods on your user that say sure. like, do this, do that. Sure. So you have this aggregate gator thing. And now how does it work in the replay zone? So the, so the, the thing that an or aggregate projection can do, zone. right, is so you can basically take, you can call persist mm. on your aggregate at any point. I'm seeing it. Which okay. says, okay, now all these events that I've just fired, yeah, go store all of them to the database. Okay. Right? Yeah. And so what it does is it basically takes all those events, stores them to the database, and like bumps the uh, aggregate version, which means all these events were stored together. They're part of the same thing that happened. Gotcha. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Yep. And so when you, when you have a projector... You are in a projector, you just let the user aggregator do its thing because all its on hooks get called because of the events. So yeah, your projector is then listening for those individual events that do get okay. saved. Right. I'm trying to think where where would the on hooks come into play? So Sorry, um, I think them. I said that the on hooks were on the aggregator when I think they yeah. may actually be on the projector. I think I was confusing gotcha. classes there for a second. Okay, um, so the aggregator is just, it could be like a plain old PHP object. Well, I mean, it has some magic in it. So the magic that it has is the versioning. The versioning, the squashing, it has a persist method that can store the events that it's currently dealing with. So when, event is fu- when an event is fired, it's not persisted? Right, itself. so an event can just be fired, and then the projectors right. can respond to it but it stays figured, in memory the whole time and never gets stored to the database as an event. Gotcha. I thought it was like a trait on the event that says like, store me. Uh, yeah, so that's true, right? But like in the aggregate, you don't always, like sometimes you want to store things all at once, right? So you could have multiple events that change something back and forth and back and forth. Sure, within one request. Right, right, right. So you just want to store so, the resulting event. And so in that case, does the event need to not have that trait so that it doesn't handle storage and the aggregator handles all the storing of it? I'm not sure. I need to like, I would need to look into that. Interesting. Because like I've played, I've played with that stuff, but generally speaking, we don't play with, like we don't have those scenarios, right? Like generally speaking, everything is stored and then like we'd like persist the aggregator at the end of the thing. And then like that's when it actually does the store. Okay. So you don't have those traits on the event? So we do, but like when you go through the aggregator, you let the aggregator do the saving. So if I was just using the like Laravel's event helper yep. to like fire the event, sure, then it would store itself. Yep. But that, so you're not using the event helper inside of the aggregator. Oh, right. You're right, using, right, right, so right. the aggregator has like a, a method its on own it helper method. called record that. Gotcha. So you would so say it could be bypassing that system right. and waiting for the persist. Correct. So what you're doing is like saying like on so say you have like a user updated profile, right? Yep. And the things that could change are username, email, and password, right? Yep. So I would say like the um you know if username has changed, say this record that username changed. Yeah. If password has changed, this record that 
password changed. If email changed, this record that email changed. Then at the bottom, I would say this persist. Yep. Yep. Okay. So you have the persisting in the aggregate. So when that happens, that there's no extra table or is there called aggregates or is it that on that event, there's a field in the stored events table called aggregate name and aggregate version. Um, so there is, there's an aggregate. So you, what you're going to end up doing is putting an aggregate UUID on your model that references the UUI, the aggregate from the model. What model? So like on your user model. Okay. You would add like a aggregate UUID that references which aggregate uh, corresponds to that model. Okay. If that makes sense. Yeah, sort of. So then you're going to basically say like aggregate colon colon UUID, pass in the user's UUID, and that's going to return you the correct aggregate. And the UUID is attached to the aggregate or the aggregate version? Uh, no, the version is just a like incrementing integer. And that is stored on the event table? Uh, yes. Stored events or whatever. Let me actually look. Um, so yeah, it's yeah aggregate. So the events table is ID, aggregate UUID, aggregate version. Okay. And then like event class and event metadata and stuff. Okay. So the version... If the version of multiple events are the same, that means they happened in one request together. Mm -hmm. They happened within one persist, not necessarily in one request. Sure. Okay. In one persist. So how does the squashing work? So snapshots. So there's a, there's a second table called aggregate snapshots. Okay. And this basically has ID, aggregate UUID, aggregate version. Yep. And then state. And so state is basically like just a JSON thing of like all of the right. collected state of all these events up until now stored. Up until that aggregate. Uh-huh. Ah, so when you say take a snapshot, as you say like, hey, user aggregator, take a snapshot. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, hold up. Let me go through the entire stored events thing mm-hmm. and find every place that I am referenced mm-hmm. and replay everything up until a point and then whatever the collective data object is store that yep so here's and a question be marked with the aggregate version that it was right. at when that snapshot was taken so that gives you your place in so time. that gives me that gives me the place in time that this snapshot is relevant because presumably i'm going to take snapshots on a regular basis yeah right and so i want to know like at what point in time does this one snapshot cover to now when does this next snapshot cover to so i'm right you know is it possible if you have the events table let's say you're just like forget about aggregators you're just firing these events in yep. your user model for a while and then like a year later you add a user aggregator so now those all have a uuid and versions when you create a snapshot does it snapshot from the beginning i don't know um my guess is probably well yeah probably Probably it does. Um, so I think that's like probably one no, of the No, no, big... probably it doesn't, honestly. Now that I think about it. I would think that a very useful thing would just be something that plays everything to a point and stores. Yeah, interesting. Hmm. So interesting. So that freaking aggregator has to be huge. 
Uh, well, it's not that state, that snapshot, right? No. Because if you think about it, that aggregator wouldn't. It's not just like if you have like a user profile updated event that gets fired, mm-hmm. you can only group the ones by the same user, right? Like, right. So that is that's why there's an aggregate UUID on both tables. Oh. The UUID corresponds to a specific user. So there's a snapshot per user. Yeah. Whoa. Okay, so the so the snapshot table would still be freaking huge. It's, uh, it's as big as your... It's at least as big as the amount of users you have. Correct. Interesting. Decal. Okay. This event thing... This, is, this seems like a very linear relationship between complexity and benefit. It's like super powerful, super complex. Uh, you know, between like indirection and like uh, flexibility you know yeah i don't know that that's totally true um i think it just requires you to i it, it does add one level of indirection right to me i don't know i think it adds many maybe maybe two you could maybe argue two right if you have if you have like uh so you reference the the so when user is saved whatever okay when you're so in reality now, not the thought experiment, if you were building the user profile saved like you're building your other stuff, mm-hmm. you have... You have an observer. You right? have an observer for so, the eloquent model? Well, so what I'm saying is if you, are, if you were going to build this in a non-event sourced way, the thing that we're building right now, which is like right. duplication of data across oh, two sure. database tables. Gotcha. You know what I'm saying? In yep. that case, like if you're going to do that, you're going to have like a user observer that's like watching the stuff come in or you're going to have like some weird complexity, you know? Okay. So like, I think in that case, like this is a much cleaner, less complex way to route that data. Interesting. So in, in the case where I have like two schemas that I need to keep up to date, I have a user model and I have a little observer that's like when user is saved, take that data and also store it in this other table. Right. But it might be different. Right. So you might not be able to derive the one set of data from the other set of data. If that makes sense. Well, let's say that we, why, what, what, what is a case where we wouldn't be able to? Uh, so for example, like we have, um, we have questions and each question has a bunch of answers, right? Yep. The way that that is stored in the legacy database is that there's an answer sequence field, which is an array of IDs. Or okay. a bunch of comma-separated IDs. Sure. Right? Yeah. So there is a chance that, like, when I'm creating a question, if I was yeah. just observing the question, I wouldn't have the necessary data about the answers to populate the answer column on the other th- You know what I'm saying? And I couldn't just get it from the database? Well, like, what if, what if we haven't stored the answers yet? You know, like, it's just like... The order in which but how would that work in event sourcing? Because you're projecting the right, other schema. Right. Okay, interesting. So we're um, storing the the data as it comes into the app, not for either schema. We're just storing the data about what happened. Right. Totally. And then we can make decisions down the road about like should that affect the schema, either schema, one way or the other. Agreed. But it's not like deriving one one schema about uh, about objects. Right, so it's like you, the schema you have in event sourcing is about verbs, not about nouns. Yeah, 
Um, and so you can derive the noun schema from the verbs. Yes. Whereas the other model would be to derive one noun from another noun. And maybe sure. that noun isn't the same as the other noun or doesn't have all the correct data to... You get what I'm saying? Sure, 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 sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep, yeah, interesting. Okay, so, I mean, in that case, I guess, you know, without, like, constructing a very specific thought experiment, yeah. assuming that that is a case where those constraints make it so that you literally couldn't create an observer on well, a model. Or if you could, it would be really complicated. Sure. Um, yeah, so, so okay, so in a case like that, um, yeah. And, and I guess I, I wasn't saying that event sourcing's complexity doesn't warrant it isn't warranted mm -hmm. or is needless you know i'm just saying like it's super powerful but there but is as complexity opposed, to it yeah but there's a ton of complexity especially with all that aggregator stuff it's like there's so much indirection and complexity and so i think that i i want to like i guess distinguish between two types of complexity right yeah um i think there's complexity of implementation and there okay. then there's complexity of comprehension okay right so I think there are multiple ways of doing event sourcing. You can do event sourcing without aggregators, right? You right. can just fire the events and respond to them. You don't even yep. need projectors sometimes, but sure. generally speaking, you have like an event and a projector, right? Yeah. Um, so you can do it without aggregators at all. Yep. And the complexity of comprehension is drastically lower if you and I are just talking about yes. events and projectors. You have right. an event, you project the data. You have an event, you project the data. As soon as you introduce aggregators, the initial barrier of comprehension goes way, 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 way up. Because yeah. aggregators are a weird concept. They're named badly. I didn't name them. It's a bad name. Um, and it it's confusing. It's not obvious. And like you really have to sit down and wrap your head around why these things exist. Right. Yeah. Um, but inversely, the complexity of implementation goes way, way, way down. And all of a sudden, you're writing way less code, way more obvious-looking code. Hmm. The code makes way more sense. You don't have random, like, event helpers being fired in your controller methods. Yep. You know, stuff that, like, looks not obvious. You don't understand where your data is going, what projector is dealing with this. You know, all this stuff. That's yeah. just not relevant anymore. You can yep. just call, like, you know, user, get aggregate, save profile you yep. know or whatever and it's like okay now we're now we're like cooking with fire here yep so like the complexity of understanding aggregators is high but it it leads to a much lower complexity of implementation than than the other version where you just do events and projectors which is easier to understand but more of a pain in the ass to maintain and implement gotcha yeah yep yeah that makes sense um yeah yeah, it seems super powerful. It seems like something that, yeah, it seems like something that I would hate it if most apps started to do it because it would be a repository pattern all over again. Right. Um, but until it, until somebody, and this is the thing, it's like someone will, I think, I reckon, someone is going to write some very nice abstractions for this Yeah. where you just don't even think about the fact that you're using I was events say, behind like, the scenes. Right, the power could still be harnessed if it if, if the it API happened, was right. Yeah. If if it happened as a side effect of using eloquent. Mm -hmm. Um Well, and that's what we've we've played with that, right? Sorry, Mike. Like we we've played with doing like yes. side effect events. And like it right. it would 
you would kind of need to change some more deeply rooted things about eloquent to make it work yeah like you'd have to basically replace the save method with like a fire right. agent fire an event get an aggregate projector whatever you know yep but yep. you could do that like you could make an eloquent driver that is like a wrapper around the normal eloquent yeah. driver but with event sources right you know yep yeah and okay so that yeah right the concept of storing a immutable um like true history of data transformations and being able to replay them is extremely fascinating and cool mm-hmm. um and yeah it and has a ton of power um so, yeah I, i'm thing- surprised you aren't storing all of these event stuff in a separate database that's like we might less costly we might do that um okay. but the, the here's the thing i think that is like this is what i was really excited about at the beginning and we haven't talked about it really and the interesting thing is that events store data themselves and that data may never make it into your models right sure so yes. there's extra yeah. data in there's always money in the banana stand there's yeah, always right. always money in the there's banana extra stand. data in the events that might not currently apply to any of your models but you can so you know how you're always like, oh, should I stick this? Should I stick this table yep. on here? Are we gonna need this? Or like, totally. Oh, I could stick this ID, but like, I could get this ID through this other thing, so I might as well just not stick this ID on this table. Or yep. you know, you make all these judgment calls about, am I gonna bloat out my tables with all this extra data, or am I gonna keep them smooth and comfortable? Right. That's a huge. That's a huge pro. And so yeah. the thing is, you can you can get as gnarly and excessive and disgusting with your events as you want to just throw everything onto your events who cares ips ip time and we're literally doing that we're sticking ips user agents um for sure every device fingerprints like all this like stuff that like we could use in a lawsuit or something down the right. road if we got sued it'd be nice to have all this data right yeah but like for now it's like oh i don't want that in my database are you kidding me you know right but we'll just stick it in this big unformed json column and like it can live over there and never get touched, right? But then we, if we ever decide that we want that, we wish that that piece of data was on our model, we write a migration, we add that thing, we change our projector to store that thing. Yep. And then we rerun the events and all of that historical data is now on our models. It's just like, in, it's at, that's the thing about it that's absolutely insane to me is like, there's something like you're storing all the raw what happened and give me as much data as you need about what happened, you know? And then like, I'll worry about like, what do I want my app to look like? You know, what data do I wish that my app had, you know? For sure. You can be liberal with data storage and conservative with your like, you, you, you're, you're liberal with events and you're conservative with your like, ending schema yeah, and you can like with your re- model and you can just refactor your schema whenever you want you yeah, can just drop it, tables invent new tables split things across multiple tables so i wonder if that promise is because i think part of that promise of being able to be because i think that's a huge huge pro yeah. is being able to have an ideal schema because that's one of the biggest sources of complexity in systems especially legacy systems is new code that relies on an old achy schema mm-hmm. and you know and you're, you you either an have to do very schema. dangerous yes 
You have to do very dangerous, nerve-wracking data migrations that take all weekend and scare the crap out of everybody and potentially break a ton of stuff. Um, which you, So you avoid doing it naturally almost always and try to never do it, basically. So in this case, being able to play fast and loose with your schema is huge if it's actually if it actually delivers on its promise in a, in a way that you feel comfortable doing it like on a month to month basis like something yeah. like let's say that like once per month you end up doing a replay mm-hmm. like if you had as a company and as maintainers of the system if you had the muscle memory of changing things and replaying events so that you know if you think of it like shipping like if you were shipping early enough like you know you would be more comfortable about it Rather than if you never, I think that's what we ran into at baseball football service was it was the promise we event sourced for this reason that we could do this one day. And the day that we needed it, we've done it so infrequently that, we that when we actually good at did it, it, we weren't good at doing it. We weren't comfortable doing it. We missed things. It was Dude, scary. You know what would be wild is if you, know you just I mean? literally just had a cron job that like event that just that replayed just ran, like the, every ran a replay every so often. Yeah. Yeah, you know what I mean though? Like mm-hmm. that's probably one of those event sourcing um katas, like just like one of those event sourcing foo things. Or like, even better, sure. honestly, you know what would be crazy is like on every production deploy, we have a clone of the prod database, right? Yeah. And on every production deploy, it run it replays all the events and gives you a in like in ci right like it would replay all the events and just give you a diff of the database before and after this production deploy oh okay word you know so like it doesn't replay them on the actual production thing right right? but it would replay it like on a cop on a clone of production yeah and basically say like hey like uh did you know that your app deleted the user email column right or that your change deleted the user email column and like all this data is going to go away. Are you cool with that? Yeah. Yeah. And so it'd just be like a, you could put that into code review, you know, or whatever. Like mm-hmm. it's wild. You're talking a schema diff. Yeah. Like it's no, no, just like a data diff, even a data diff. You could just be like, look, like these 80 users I mean, are going to lose these... their emails. Right. You'd have to look through. Yeah. It'd be hard to a look at a lot of freaking data. <laughs> yeah. So maybe just a schema diff. I don't know. <laughs> but it'd be cool if you could like get a report about that, you know, yeah, that yeah, says yeah, like, no. you know, a hundred thousand users are going to lose their email address. Right. 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 If In you, theory, you merge could. this and then replay. Yeah. The I events. mean, you have, you have the, you have the record with event sourcing. You have the record. So yeah. you don't. Yeah. And if it's you break very... it, you can just roll back and replay. That's the cool thing. Yep, it's very intriguing, the idea of not make. you know, it seems almost like super dangerous to have a single database that you're overwriting all the time, yeah. um, which is sort of the importance of database backups because database backups do give you some semblance of, of this Security, concept, but, yeah. but this is like baked in it at the most atomic level, mm-hmm. um, which is super powerful. So that's interesting. I'm really interested to hear the event sourcing story as it uh, evolves for you. Yeah. And I'm glad we finally did a deep dive on it. Yeah. You know, this is one of those things like you and I do this. I recognize it in both of us. We're like, if we don't, sometimes the one of us is talking about something that we don't, we know we don't really, really understand, you know, like, I know I don't know it, know it the way you're saying. Sure, like, sure, I sure. get it. Like, I, I get, get what event, event sourcing, sourcing is. Ballpark, yeah, yeah. You know, but, but I've like, never done it. Clearly there's more to like unpack. Yeah. 
And it's like, do we have the energy? And sometimes I, and sometimes you, if you don't have the energy, you just be like, oh yeah, interesting. Okay, mm-hmm. hmm, cool. Yeah. yeah. And then we will kind of take the cue and just move on. Yep. And, another t- and this was one of those times where I was like, no, no, no. We're diving we into need to really unpack this and look at every single moving part and fully understand. Yeah. Well, and the cool thing fun. too is like, I haven't explained it fully to anyone, right? Mm, so yeah. all the all the event source knowledge I've got is based on me and Chris figuring stuff out over time right. on calls. So like there's things like like my initial like placing the on hooks onto the aggregator yeah. instead of the projector. Right. Like I had to continue explaining to realize that I had I had mixed yeah. those up because right. of course they go on the projector not on the aggregator because that's where they would go. Right. Right? Yep. But like Things like that where it's like having to explain this all linearly like cleans up my understanding of it a lot. Mm, yep. So yeah, it's fun. Yeah. Very interesting. Very, very interesting, interesting indeed, D. Cole. Good times. Mm, yes. Mm. yes. Uh, we're probably pretty late here. Huh? Yeah, it's, it's like what a 136. Ooh, this is a long one. Should we one. just cue the outro music and yeah, cut it? I think we should bump it up. Bump it up. Bump, bump, bump.